about 15 years ago, I uh, read this list of things that people expect to happen in church, but this was a list by people who um, didn't attend church. Kind of what was in their mindset, what was church like? And uh, it was an interesting list. And it was people expected there to be a lecture. I try not to lecture, but I get it. I see what they're saying. They expected there to be music or a choir. They expected there to be some kind of kids club, probably because they'd seen this advertised. They expected candles, lots of candles, they said. Not sure why. They expected people to pay their dues. I get what they're trying to say. Um, They expected there to be prayer. And they didn't necessarily define that, but they expect you to be either prayed for or prayed with or have to spend time in silent prayer. And then they expected you to have to confess all your sins. So that's the part we're going to do right now. So turn to the person next. I'm kidding. (laughs) Sheer panic in some people right now. But see, people outside the church even have these expectations. What's funny is, I'm sure a lot of it came from movies or TV shows or something, but these were people who didn't go to church, and this was their expectations of what it was going to be. And the most interesting thing is I've been doing this series on expectations. I went back to try to find the the, uh, publication. I couldn't find the publication. I could only find my notes where I had typed it out because I talked about it uh, that many years ago. That's how I know how old it was. So the interesting thing about this was people have this idea, this preconceived notion. And I think it's really pretty accurate. I mean, we don't do a public confession of sins and we don't probably use as many candles as we should. I like candles. Um, But so much of it's accurate. We come together and there's a message, a lecture, music. There's a time of prayer. But what I think is missing from that list that I think is so oftentimes missing from our own experience. And the reason church can sometimes feel hollow and empty is there's nothing about connecting with other people. On their perceived ideas, there was nothing about how do I connect with the people on my left and my right? How do I connect with what gives me hope this week? And as we wrap up our series on expectations today, what I want to say is all of the other things are great. The different components that make up our liturgy. Whether you realize it or not, we're not a formal church. So some people say, oh, we don't have a liturgy. We do. Because if you look at our service, it's pretty much the same order week after week. Come in, we do two songs. We hear announcements. We do a time of greeting. We do three more songs, sometimes four if we're feeling crazy. And then we go into a message. At some point, we offer prayer, whether it's during the third song or the fourth song. Or post-service, we offer opportunity for people to pray. We have a liturgy. We have a flow. You guys don't get to respond to me with a amen or and so be it or anything like that. But pretty much, we still have this liturgy that we do. We still have this flow and this function. But aside from that, is there an expectation when you come in of two things? One, a connection with God. And two, a connection with other people. Because see, that's what's critical. That's what's key in us moving forward in our spiritual walk. If we come up, with, come in without any expectation of anything, that's not good. You can go, I show up with no expectations and I'm never disappointed. I'd rather you show up with expectations that you're going to connect with God and connect with people, and maybe it happens and maybe it doesn't. But when we show up with no expectations, oftentimes we walk out with no difference in us and no change. I desire so deeply that we understand who God is, and we only understand who God is in community 
but I desire that so deeply that I strive to create opportunities for you to connect with people. Romans chapter 12 is our text today. I'm going to start at verse, 20, uh, verse 12 and read through verse 21. And some of you may not see how this connects, so just hang tight and I'll help you make the connection. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 12, says, Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. We're at verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give peace to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That entire list is where Paul is telling people, how do you live Christ-like? The people are saying, how do we live like Jesus? And he gives them this long list. And it's all about how do we live together? How do I live with other people? What do I do when people don't agree with me? What do I do when people don't do what I want them to? What do I do when I look at our political situation and say, one side's weak, one side's bullies, one side's whatever your point of view is on the current situation in our nation and our world. And there's going to be people who agree with you and people who don't agree with you. One of my ongoing things is, we don't talk politics in church, and here's why. Because it's only meant to divide. And a long time ago I learned, whatever I do, I can't be a wall between people and the cross. And as soon as I start to make these hard line, this is how it has to be, then I put up a wall between somebody and the cross. There is nothing more important to me than the message of the cross. And that message is this, that there is hope for all of us. That no matter how bad of a sinner you are, no matter how good of a sinner you are, some of you are pretty good sinners, no matter how good you are at sinning, there is nothing that the cross cannot overcome. And so, when we look at this list in light of how do I live with people on my left and my right that don't agree with me, that don't see things the way I do, that don't understand the reality of how evil the other side is, how do I do that? And Paul says, here's a list. I'm going to talk about four things this morning. The danger of expectations, the beauty of expectations, what seems hopeless in your life, and what is God leading you towards. Those four things are what I'm going to cover. Because I think sometimes, if we're not honest with ourselves, we see expectations as great, but we don't see that there's real dangers. Here's the danger of expectation. Number one, we feel sometimes like God let us down. I prayed and prayed and prayed, and God wasn't there. And I wanted this to improve, and nothing changed. And now, how do I reconcile whether or not God is real with this? How do I look at the suffering in this world and say God is real? How do I look at the pain in this world and say God is real? How do I look at my point of view and still believe that God is there? And so I feel like God let me down. 
The second danger of expectation is this, cynicism. Life is painful. God must not be real. He must not be caring. He must not be present. He must not be involved in our world. If he was, then this wouldn't be the case. I've prayed to get rid of this thing in my life, this habit, this addiction, this loneliness, this whatever, and God didn't do anything. So he must not be real. The third danger of expectation is it becomes hopelessness. Life is not what I thought it would be. It's not what I believed. It's not what I expected. Thus, either God isn't real or he's not working in me or I've done something wrong. And the fourth danger is comparing. Why is my life so bad but theirs is so good? I must be wrong or God must be angry at me. And the danger in all of those expectations, the same thing, the one commonality in all of them, it's about me, I, and my perspective towards God. What becomes difficult is when I have expectations, if they're not met, it's about what my expectations were. Not necessarily about what God had for us, or for me, not necessarily about what God wanted to do in me, but it's what I wanted, expected, desired, and now they're not met. So it must be God isn't real, God isn't true, God isn't with us today, but it's all about me. The true danger in expectations is it becomes about me and how it benefits me instead of, God, what are you doing in me to change me and use me to change the world? See, I become disillusioned when I don't get my way, and yet sometimes God's picture is bigger than me being happy today. Because let's face it, if I got my way, the world wouldn't be nearly as good, and the Green Bay Packers would win a lot more games. (laughs) The second thing about expectations is the beauty of expectations. So if we understand the danger of expectations is that it becomes about me, And that's what takes us to the danger of expectations. Here's the beauty of expectations. If if I'm expecting, oftentimes I'm much more open to receiving the things of God. It's still somewhat about me, but I'm open, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm trying to be in conversation with God because I believe that God wants to be there. That's the beauty of expectation. Second beauty of expectation is hope. It's the opposite of the hopelessness. Hope In all situations, I know that God can be present. Doesn't mean that I believe he is. It means somewhere in me, I know that he can be. Most people don't pray not believing that God's hearing you. Most people pray believing God is hearing and going to answer in an affirmative way. Another thing about the beauty of expectation, it's knowing that no matter the situation, there is nothing that God cannot overcome. No matter how bad, no matter the darkness, God can still work in the situation. There's no addict that can't overcome. There's no brokenness that can't be healed. There's no disease that can't be cured. There's no marriage that can't be saved. There's no child who's gone too far. And even though we don't see the whole situation, remember, we have one minute thing that we're looking at. And we don't see it. My son is taking a marine biology class. I was asking how it was, and the first night they went and scooped up water down in the Puget Sound. 
and they just took scoops of water, and then they went back, and they put it under a magnifying glass, and suddenly that water is alive. And he's like, man, it's hard to believe we go in that sometimes. There's things swimming and moving and jumping that it was just water, and now there's something in there. And there's something. And when we look that closely, we see there's life. Too oftentimes, our field of view is so narrow, but not focused. So it's really narrow, and this is the, all of the, what we're going to see of the entire existence of humankind, and God's not doing anything right now. We don't realize the picture is much bigger, and our view is way out here, and we're trying to look through something this big. Instead of understanding, God is so much broader than that. That when looked at under a microscope, we see God always working and moving and doing things. The beauty of holding on, the beauty of having expectations, is being open to what God is doing in me and through me, whether or not it's what I would have picked or not. People have asked me oftentimes, and I'm not sure if they ask me because they're hoping I'll change careers or what, but what would you have done if you hadn't been a pastor? Because maybe you should consider doing that. They usually don't say that second part, but they're probably thinking it. My goal was not to be a pastor. That wasn't what I set out to do. Um, My goal was to play hockey, get my college paid for, and get a degree in economics. And then I just wanted to be an investment banker at a small bank in my own hometown. I didn't love my hometown, but the guy who was the investment banker at the bank that I belonged to also went to our church and he had the best life that I could imagine. He and his wife had, they had never had children, but every year, every year or two, he'd get a new pickup and she'd get a new Cadillac. And I liked nice cars. And he had a farm, but he wasn't a farmer, he just leased out the land. But we would go and he'd take me bird hunting. And we'd walk along and shoot pheasants. And I one time asked him, how come you have so many pheasants on your farm? He goes, I buy them and I plant them out here. <laughs> That's a thing we can do? <laughs> I had no idea. And he has a 300-acre farm with brushy draws and a creek bottom. And he doesn't even live there or farm it. Somebody else has to do the work. He just shows up and hunts it. And he'd go to work and he'd take off early on Fridays. And a lot of times he'd invite me to go do cool stuff that I never would have gotten to do any other way. And so my thought was, I want his life. And he likes me enough. And while I was in college, he actually passed away of cancer. He was a relatively young guy. He was in his early 50s. But I remember thinking, perfect, the job's wide open. (laughs) Didn't say I was a nice person. I didn't. I'm just telling you how I thought. But see, somewhere along the way, it wasn't that I didn't love God before. It's that I felt like God pointed me in a different direction. I remember thinking I was going to go to this Bible college for one year. And after that year, I was going to change and go to a different college and see if I could still play hockey. And I injured my knee pretty badly, had to have arthroscopic surgery, and I needed to give it some time to heal. Because even though I played, it just wasn't as strong as it was before. So my whole thing with going to Bible college is, oh, I'll just buy time while my knee heals. But of course, I did no rehab and no lifting and no working out that entire year, which probably is not the way to go to heal your knee. And I didn't do anything. And I remember during the start of my sophomore year going, well, after this year, then I'm going to... And finally, I remember 
having this conversation in prayer with God. I was actually up in the mountains at the time, and he just said, listen, you don't have to do this, but either get in or get out because you're going to get in the way of somebody else if you don't. You're going to get in the way of somebody else's faith if you don't make a decision and go. I've called you, but I'm, I always felt like he wasn't going to be angry if I didn't do that. Like I knew what he had called me to do, but it was my decision. Because I don't think God forces us to do something. And I believe God has a call on each of you, and your call is going to be different than mine. Maybe yours is similar. Maybe it's completely different. But that makes it no less the call that God has on you. And then I think God opens doors for other people. You have a certain skill set, a certain set of giftings. Go and work in that area. Do it. Because God's going to use you where you're willing to be used. But at the same time, if I hadn't had this expectation, if I hadn't had this thing that said deep within me, I'm willing to do what you want, God, and I expected God to lead me, had I not had that, I wouldn't have listened when he called me to what he called me to. And my calling is no more important and no more valid and no more valuable than what he has for you. But are you listening for what he has for you? Because I think sometimes we get on a track, it would have been just as easy for me to have gotten on a track and gone a different way and never really listened to God. Because it's what I would have done, it's what I would have known, it's what I would have been, it's what I would have become. It would have defined me, but in a different way. And then God looks at you and he goes, I have so much for you, more than you could ever dream or imagine. But we get stuck in what we're doing, and it's so easy to stay in that rut. Anybody ever gone and seen the Oregon Trail between Nebraska and Oregon? Anybody ever been back in that part? You can literally go and see, and the ruts of the wagons are so deep that it's been 160 years, and you can still see where wagon after wagon followed through. Right across, I went in Nebraska, and there's a big plaque, and you look, and like, the grass and the weed are all grown up, except for about a seven-foot-wide patch. It's still just almost, it's so scarred. People just stayed in one set of wagon wheels and just kept going because it was the easiest path. It was the path of least resistance. Now, were they wrong to come west? I don't know. I like the Midwest, but no, I'm kidding. I'm glad we're all here today. But the same thing is true of our own life. We get in a spiritual rut. We get in a life rut. We get set, and then we're not open to hear what God has for you next. Because we don't expect God to be doing things. When we're expecting that I'm always listening, I'm always prepared, I'm always looking, not because I don't like things. I'm not always looking for a change, but I'm always looking for what do you have next for me, God? And I could be the best at whatever, but if God has something else for me, am I willing to walk that path? Am I willing to try that thing? Am I willing to challenge myself and learn and grow and develop and stretch? And I would say, you're never too old to start something new. I love the fact that some of the greatest painters in the world didn't start until they were in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. There are many great musicians that don't start till later in life. I started trying to learn Spanish I'm on day 255 in a row without missing one on my Spanish learning program. And I still cannot construct a stinking sentence. (laughs) But I have not given up because I know that I'm going to get to day 263 or 391 and suddenly it's going to hit and I'm just going to be fluent. Boom. 
I believe that I'm not too old to learn something new. I'm not too old to gain a skill in life. And we're not too old to have God use us and stop believing that because you missed it when you were 19, 23, 31, whatever age you look back and think you were young. Because I remember turning 30 and thinking, wow, I'm old because I was still a youth pastor at 30. And I remember my last year in Southern California as a youth pastor at camp. And I was 39 and looking and going, wow, there's kids here that are youth pastors that could have been in my youth group. I am old. Everybody else was 10 or 15 years younger than me. And there I am. Let's go do a cheer. No, let's not. (laughs) (laughs) And I I thought I was old at 31 and now I'm 47. I'm almost 48. Tomorrow's my birthday. I don't say that so that, no, don't worry about it. I say it because here's the thing. Year 48, God's got something new for me and I'm going to be ready and I'm expecting it. And I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow and I'm going to keep on reading and I'm going to keep on listening to podcasts and I'm going to keep on studying and I'm going to keep on spending time in prayer because I'm not too old for God to talk to me, use me, and do something new in my life and I'm expecting him to do that. And I'm not going to be angry or disappointed if it's not what I want Because I'm going in with an expectant heart. But I don't have a preconceived idea of what he has to do. I don't know what it is next. But God's got something for you. He's got something for you individually. And he's got something for us corporately. And we need to be open to what it is. The third thing today is what seems hopeless in your life? Only you can answer that. During the uh, American Revolution, the Battle of Saratoga, the U.S. had about 9,000 men the Brits had 13,400, and they had far superior firepower. And pretty much every major battle, some of the small skirmishes we had won, but every major battle up until that point, we had lost. And by we, I mean the American side. If you're Brit, welcome. (laughs) I know that uh, we call it Independence Day, and so do the Brits, because they were finally independent of us. Um, But it was about 9,000 versus 13,400. And there was a series of battles. And in that, the U.S. lost 90 soldiers and had about uh, 400 wounded. The British lost 440 soldiers, had 695 wounded. But more importantly, 6,200 were captured. They had less than 1,000 people get away without being injured, killed, or captured. Even though they outmanned us by 30%. It all seemed hopeless, but Washington, General Washington at that time, said, it's not hopeless if we know what we're doing and we're expecting God to do something in us. He worded it this way, we're expecting God to use us to free a people. He believed that God was going to use this to create this nation. Now, is this nation what he would have imagined or pictured? Probably not. Because I don't think he could have possibly conceived of telecommunications the way they are. The internet didn't see that coming. Most of you didn't either. Come on, be honest, or you'd all be millionaires by now. (laughs) Things are different, but he believed that God had a purpose for this. It seems hopeless when you haven't won a battle yet and you're almost two years into a war, and they've outnumbered you, and you win, 
And after we won that battle, that's when both France and Germany decided we better start placing our bets on the U.S. to do this. And they began to trade with us. Not through England, but independently. And that little change in how things worked opened up the door so that we could be considered a nation. Sometimes small things, one little battle, turns the entire tide. You may feel like everything you've done, you've been defeated at. Every time you've tried, you've lost. Everything you attempted, you failed. But sometimes it just takes one thing, and knowing that God has something for you, an expectation that God is going to do things in you. What addictions, what pains, what situation in your life do you see as too far gone? I'm not a big person who says, now you just conquer that by saying it out loud. But be honest enough with yourself to say, God, this is where, why I don't have hope anymore. This is what's got me. My kid walking away from you after we raised him to know you. My marriage seems hopeless. My job situation, I can't find one. Or it's, you know, I can't, I'm stuck in this dead-end job. What is it in your life that makes you feel trapped? Because it's not too far gone. Be honest with yourself. But once you are, I think you'll discover it's not beyond repair. It may not look like what you would have wanted in a perfect world. Because circumstances sometimes aren't perfect. But that doesn't mean it's defeated you. And the final thing today is, what is God leading you towards? Is there a promise that you know God made for you? If so, what are you willing to sacrifice to get to that? What are you willing to give up of yourself because the thing that's holding you back is your own pride, your own fear, your own struggle because I've tried before and it just didn't work? What is required of me? It's not about doing, but sometimes in order to become what God desires for us to be, in order for us to experience that in that real way, something has to change. Because if I've tried it ten times in a row and the same thing keeps happening every time, there's something that has to be different in order for the result to be different. It's not about earning favor with God. It's not about, okay, God, I gave this much money, now you have to do this for me. I tell people all the time, do I want you to give to our church? Absolutely. It's the only way we stay in business. It's the only way I keep the lights on. It's the only way I can buy a new espresso machine, even though they're a ripoff. (laughs) But at the same time, all of that says, don't give me money to our church because you think God's going to give you favor. Because that's not how it works. Don't promise, I'll teach Sunday school, God, but only if you do this. You either do or you don't. You're either in or you're out. And I'm going to love you either way. I'm going to love you if you just show up because by my very nature, I'm a trusting person and I'm a loving person. Both are things that God has created in me because 15 years ago, I was neither. I didn't trust you and I probably didn't even like you. But God has worked and changed this old guy into who he wanted me to become. And yet, the most beautiful part about that is he's not done. Because year 48, 
I have with great expectations, God's going to do something. And you know what? I'm going to say the same thing when I head into year number 49, and if I'm around long enough, year number 65, and year number 73, and I don't know, maybe I'll be the first human that lives to be 150 in the modern era. They say that person has already been born. I don't think it's me. But as long as I'm alive, I'm going to look forward with expectation of what God's going to do in me, how God's going to do things through me, what's going to change. I look at my relationship with my wife, and there's not been a point at which I didn't love her in our married years, but there were points at which I wasn't a very good husband. There were points at which I was a pretty bad person. And yet, I understand more and more of how God has changed me and used me to make me a better man and a better husband and a better father. Because I was willing to change things about me. I was willing to change who I was in order to be more of who God created me to be. And it's hard and it's painful and it's work and it takes time but it's real and it's doable. I'm a testimony of what God can do in somebody when they're willing to do the, to just expect and put in the time and the the discipline to change. What is God leading you towards? In your family, what is God leading towards? And if he's leading me towards that, does something have to change about the way I do things? You know, I said the very first week, it's always hard for me to say this because I feel like if you're here, I'm all, I don't need you to tell you to be here. But the first week I said, we should come to church with an expectation. We should show up every week, not because I need the attendance up, but we should show up every week because I want you to have that encounter with God. And I reiterate that now is I want you to come in and I want you to come in expectant with an open heart and an open mind to what God has for you, not because oh, this is oh such a great church. I've told you before, we are a group of people who will try to love you and be imperfect at it and fail. But God wants something for you and he wants you here and he wants you to come expectant and he wants you to walk out challenged and changed and motivated and inspired to go and love others. My conclusions are this. God wants us to be expectant. He wants us to come to him expecting. He wants us to spend time in prayer with him. Again, sometimes I feel like I, I, I don't ever want to harp, but I say all the time, we have pre-service prayer, we have Thursday night prayer, we have a Tuesday women's prayer group, we have other times where you can get prayed for. At the end of service today, I'm going to invite people that want to be prayed for to come forward. Our prayer team will be up here. But come expecting God to do something. Don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Like, Jeff, I feel like I come and I come and I come. And I I just don't feel like there's anything different. I don't feel like anything's changing. I can't promise you that the things will change. What I can say is, if we stop asking, we're not going to have that. If we stop seeking, we're not going to find what we're looking for. Continue to press in. Continue to seek. Have an expectant heart of what God, that, that first off, that God wants to do something in your life. And have an expectant heart that says, God, I'm willing to set aside what it is I want for what you want. And what I want isn't even always bad. Sometimes what I want is not a bad thing. What I want for my children are good things. 
Am I willing to set that aside if he has something better for them? Am I willing to train and equip my children to go and do even more and greater and bigger and better for God than what I thought they could? Am I willing to love them and guide them but still keep loose hands that says, go and do what you've been called to do. Be who you've been created to be. It's what I want for your life too. My prayer team could come up at this point. Sometimes in life we feel defeated. We live in a broken world. But I want to invite you guys today to come forward for prayer if you want to be prayed for. And I'm going to close in prayer in just a minute, but these people are going to be up here to pray with you. But if you feel defeated in life, that you've lost hope and you don't believe in whatever anymore, you, you don't expect God to do anything any longer, if that's where you're at, I just want you to come forward and just be prayed for. And, and, and I'm going to have them pray for you this, that God would relight, reignite that expectation deep within your soul. That there may be things that didn't happen the things that weren't accomplished, the things that you believed about your life, your marriage, your family, that you know that God had for you, and yet it didn't happen. And we're going to pray that that would be reignited deep within you. And that God would again give you an expectation and that you would show up each week, each time you're here, with that expectation in your soul that God wants to do something in you. Father God, I thank you for every person who's here today. I thank you for all of those who have gathered and made it home to gathering place today. Whether it's their first time or their hundredth time. God, that they came today. Whether they came with a preconceived notion or idea or not. Whether they came in expecting or whether they came in just to be here. God, that we would be a people expect you to work in, expect you to move in, and expect you to change us. That we wouldn't come here and leave here the same because we are moved by what you want to do. God, that that would be the people we are. That we are people who are loving, inviting, and encouraging, bringing and drawing people in. Not so that we grow the biggest, but Father God, so that we make a deep, deep impact in this world. So that our friends and neighbors and those around us see that we genuinely believe what Paul told us should be a mark of our life, that people should be loved, that we don't repay evil with evil, but we repay evil with good, that nobody owes us anything, but we owe this to everyone, and that is to love and accept them. May that be the people that we are and the people that we become. I thank you and I praise you for all you're doing in our lives. God, for those who are sick today, I pray for healing struggling with loneliness and isolation and hopelessness, I pray for hope. For those whose marriages are struggling, I pray for reconciliation. God, for those who are struggling in relationships with children or parents, I pray, Father God, that you would help them find that path to restoration. God, for those who need a job or better income, I pray that you would provide that pour out the blessings of your presence, the very blessings of heaven, not so that we can amass greater wealth, but 
oh Father God, so that we can pour it out to those in need. That we don't become people who hoard, but that we become a people who are known for our generosity and our giving. I thank you and I praise you for all you do in your name. Amen. I want to again invite you up um, to be prayed for today. If that's if, if you need that in your life, please don't be shy. Please don't be hesitant. Today's the last week we're collecting cards. Again, this doesn't make you a member or anything else. It just says you want to be in our directory so that we can contact you, email you things that are going on in the church. We don't barrage with emails. It's typically one a week, and sometimes we don't even send that one out. So we want you to be invited to be a part of who we are. Um, they're back on the information counter. If you want one, you can drop it in the black box next to the information counter, and that's where we'll get them out of. And then uh, finally, I, I do want to say next week is our Super Bowl party. Maybe your team's in it. Maybe your team is not. It's not about how great the game is. It's about creating an environment where we can be together. And I want to invite you to come together. Bring some soup. Bring a chili, a nice chowder, a cake, some chips. I don't care. Bring something. Come on out and be with us. We'll have screens up. We'll have a TV set up. We'll have some tables in the back for people that just want to sit and talk or bring a deck of cards. People did that. I don't care. Whatever. Just come and be together because that is how we begin to build relationships that are trusting. That means I can share what's going on in my soul with you. (coughs) So I hope that you'll join us for that, for the hockey game, or for one of the many other opportunities we have to build relationships. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.